the last episode, episode 15, was with um, Manurubia, or hey, Manurubia. And we were discussing how to pronounce your name, and he said it was uh, Xavier. I think the intonation is a bit different. I always say Xavier, Xavier. Right? Yeah, it's perfect. Perfect. Xavier. Xavier, you're a member of the Reels core team. I would like to know which year you joined the core team. 2011. Yeah. 12 years, yes. I know you as a member of the core team, Reels core team. And then also as the author of Sitework, maybe I shouldn't say it for you, but I would like to ask for you to introduce yourself for listeners who don't know who Xavier is. Oh, yeah, sure. So um, I am, my name is Xavier Noria. I am a, a freelance. I've been freelancing, see, freelancing since 2009. Uh, that's what I do for a living. And then... Uh, as a hobby, let's say, I like also doing open source because I like programming and I like open source in a fundamental way, in a sense. So I've been doing always a bit of open source in some way or another. And in particular, in, in Ruby, people may, may know my work on, on Ruby on Rails. I, I joined the, the core team. I was invited. In, you are invited to the core team, you know, so it's something that yeah, so I was invited to the core team technically in 2011, and I've been there since since uh, then. And also lately, as a highlight, I I, I wrote uh, Zyberg, you know, and and that that has been a whole project on its own. Right. So you joined the Rails core team in 2011, and you've been working with the core team, and then you came up with. Uh, Sitevert. How old is Sitevert? So the the first release was in February of 2000, 2019. That's the first release. Uh, that that release uh, came before Rails six. So Rails six is the first version of Rails that allows you to use Zyberg. In Rails six, you could still uh, use the previous the previous solution for for loading code. That we called, we needed a name for that. We didn't have a name before, but the name uh, was Classic, the Classic Autoloader. We we call it. And and uh, when Rail Six was out, I I could progress in Zyberg, you know, before releasing Rail Six. And indeed, Rail Six uh, depends on two one, two one something, two one eight, I believe. Yeah. Okay, so I when you were describing Zeitwerk, we're going to talk about a few other things, but Zeitwerk um, is sort of like going to take the focus. And you mentioned loading. First of all, what is what what is Zeitwerk? Yeah, so uh, it is a, a Ruby library that allows uh, your project to be uh, written without requires, basically, so that. You can you can program as if as if your classes and modules were available everywhere. They are available everywhere without using requires. That's the point. So you only have to use uh, a few naming conventions and you know a very natural structure in the files of your project. And uh, when you need to refer to a class of your project, you just refer to it and if it's needed, uh, Zyberg is going to load the necessary code on the spot. 
You know, that's that's what the library does basically. Also allows you to reload if if you have if you if so that's that's the loading part. Uh, there's there's a few more things, okay? Uh, it, 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 but but it, it's worth mentioning that it is also responsible for reloading. So all the logic that has to has to, is related to loading code is is uh, you know is uh, the responsibility of of the loaders. You know, in particular, in a in a web framework as in as in Rails, for instance, if you have uh, like a service that is running, you know, there's a process that, that is running, and you change the code, and you want to uh, refresh that code. Uh, so the, this this library also gives you tools to to do that. You know, refresh everything uh, from scratch in memory. Right. Uh, this trips me up a bit. Um, what's actually the difference between auto loading, eager loading, and reloading? Are they different things? Uh, yeah, they are related, but they are different. So auto loading means loading on demand. Basically, so uh, let's imagine you have users controller, and users controller has uh, a show action that says user dot find params user ID or something or ID or whatever you know. Okay, now let's imagine that you launch the server. The user model is not loaded. All right, you launch the server. The user model is no loaded. You hit the users controller endpoint, and then the code for the controller is loaded. The show action is executed. And when the, the and when the code hits the user class, which is technically a constant, at that point, there's there's uh, you know logic that says, hey, there's a reference to user here, but user user is not loaded yet. No, please load it and come back. So that's auto-loading, you know, it's loading on demand, loading when you need the code. That controller could be referencing in other actions uh, 100 classes, they wouldn't be loaded. So everything is lazy and loaded on demand. When you reference, you load. That's, that's the concept of auto-loading. Okay, eager loading means that you want to load uh, all your code you can have uh, you can configure the exceptions, but but let's simplify. You say, okay, uh, in in the in uh, in what I explained it, unless you do something else, you only load things as on demand. You know. Well, in those situations, for instance, uh, typically in in your production environment, you want everything to be eager loaded. Which means every everyone. So instead of doing things, instead of loading things uh, on demand, you want all the things to be loaded upfront. All right. So instead of being lazy, you want to be eager. You want to you want you want all the project to be loaded in memory before the first request hits the server. That's the idea. Okay. Now. One important remark is that in order to be able to eager load, you need to be able to auto load. Yeah, uh, uh, um, also, why is that? Well, because when you load a file, uh, you have you have classes and modules in, in methods, but you you may have also classes and modules in the body of the class itself. For instance, include this mixing. Okay. 
So if you are if you load that file and there's an include for a mixin and the mixin is not loaded, you need to auto load the mixin. So you you need also auto loading in order to be able to eager load without uh, you know without the explicit requires that we do not have in our code. That's that's the thing. Okay. All right. And the third thing is reloading. Reloading means uh, that what the loader uh, loaded from disk, and that could be lazy or eager, it doesn't matter, because lazy or eager is when do I want to load? You know, mm-hmm. uh, as, as less as possible or everything at front. That's, that's when, okay? But what is loaded, uh, what is loaded, if you want to edit files and be able to refresh that code in memory in a process that that that, that keeps running, then you need the concept of reloading, which is, okay, you loaded all this code, please get rid of this code in memory and load the code afresh from the disk again, okay? This makes sense if you have a process running, for instance, if you are developing a gem, because Zyber is a library that works with Ruby gems, with projects, you know, it's, it's used by Rails, but it does, you know, it, it works in any Ruby project as long as the conventions are followed. So in a, in a gem, for instance, you, don't, you do not have a process normally, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a library that, that uh, how it is executed in your uh, development environment. In, in maybe through the test suite, for instance, right? So if you change the code, there's, there's no process to to refresh, you know? If you change the code, you run the test suite. That's a different process, okay? So you do not need reloading, okay? But for web applications, that is convenient because otherwise you, you will need to, you know, interrupt the server and launch and relaunch the server again, which is more costly. Hey, Emmanuel Hayford here, and I want to tell you about AppSignal. AppSignal is a no-brainer monitoring for smart developers that allows you to track errors and performance in your apps. With AppSignal, you get beautiful dashboards that provide deep insights to quickly get to the root cause of problems. It's easy to set up, and with real human support, you'll be ready to track and crash bugs within minutes after installation. Check AppSignal out at appsignal.com. That's A-P-P-S-I-G-N-A-L.com. I understand completely auto-loading and eager-loading right now. When a web application is on, let's say, digital ocean, and um, I send a new deployment, right? And then digital ocean boots up my application. Anytime I send a deployment, what's happening before all of my new code becomes uh, active on the web page? What's happening? Is it auto-loading or eager-loading from from the start? Good point. So uh, the the defaults, all, all this can be tweaked through configuration uh, endpoints, okay? But the, the, the defaults, which is what you normally find in, in, in any, you know, project, is that you want to uh, be lazy in development because then when you do, when you work with your project, uh, uh, you are loading as less code as possible, and that's more efficient, right? Normally, you do that. 
Now, um, in production, normally you want to eager load. And in production, normally you do not want to reload. Okay? Because when you ship new code, uh, you are not replacing the files and keeping the server the server running. That's not the way that's not the way it goes. When you deploy into production, uh, you know, in, a, in the standard way to do that, uh, there's there's a there's 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 a reboot or there's a new image or there's a, you know there's there's some server starts from scratch. Okay, so reloading is not. Uh, enabled in production by default because the, because it is not needed. It is needed in in, develop, in in development because it's you know it's useful to have a, a, a you know a faster feedback loop when you when you work. So you you change your controller, you reload the page or whatever you know, and you and you see the changes. Okay, that's that's how it works at least in, in Ruby. Okay, all right. Now, uh, so in production. You normally you do not do that in production. Normally, when you ship a new version of the project, the the old server goes down and a new goes up. You know, and this can be coordinated, whatever. But what you normally don't do is to replace the files. You know, like do git pull. I don't know. You know, and and hope that that works. And that's that's at least that's not the you know the normal way to do things. Now, what about real, uh, eager loading? Yes. By default, again, this is configurable, okay? But by default, in production, you eager load. That means that, that in config environments, production will be, you know, new applications get uh, a flag that says, please eager load, okay? You can change that, okay? But that's, that's, that's what is the default. And that is, is, and it is the default because that's normally what you want. And the reason is that uh, if, that normally, you have uh, um, normally the servers that you use in production fork in some in, in 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 a way or another, you know, normally, okay. So if if you fork uh, in Unix, uh, well, I am going to say Linux. Uh, I don't know all the Unixes of the world, but let's say Linux, okay. So you have you have copy and write, which means that the the parent process. Is going to fork, and the memory in the child process is going to be shared with the parent process, unless the 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 child modifies its own copy, let's say, its own memory memory space. Okay, then if it touches the, that memory space, then uh, you know you copy from the parent to the to the to the child, and the, the memory gets modified in the child. But if it's if it is not modified. It is in the parent. So if the parent forks a few a few uh, processes, they share memory. So it's more 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 efficient in terms of memory. That is why, if possible, uh, it is it is uh, you know it is it is a good practice to load as much from your application as possible in the parent process, so that when it forks, it has all the shared code in memory. All right, and that is why you eager load. You eager load to have everything in the parent process. So you eager load in the parent process when when the application boots, and after that, the servers the servers fork. Okay, there's also uh, a, a component of predictability. Predictability because 
if you if you do not enable this, uh, a, a totally different, totally separate problem is that uh, you are loading code on demand, which is cool for development, but in production, then uh, you know the first the first requests are loading code, you know, and that's that's less predictable. That if you know that when requests are loaded to come in, everything is ready, you know, everything is loaded, you know, that that's that's a, a more uniform experience, let's say. Okay, by default, we also give you ego loading when it goes to production, correct? If that's the case, then we are assuming that everything is already loaded. So it means then we don't need auto loading unless uh, the Enix OS or whatever is doing this forking stuff. Is that the correct way of putting it? Uh, so uh, we, we, we need to go back to a remark that I did before. So auto-loading is always in place. Why? Because in order to be able to eager load, you need to be able to auto-load. Otherwise, you're going to hit code that is not loadable. So when, while, but, but, but uh, you are correct in a sense. Let, let me explain. So let, let's say we boot the application and the application is not still published to the to the you know to the to the it's not usable still because you are booting okay while booting we eager load and when while while we eager load auto loading normally is going to be triggered some way or another because you're going to hit mixins you know whatever you know now uh what is what is uh, what is the case is that unless you unless you have eager loading exceptions, you know, in in the in the regular case where you eager load all your project, what it is true and that goes in line with what you said, is that once the application is is ready to serve requests, no eager no auto loading is going to happen just because all the code is already loaded. There's nothing left to be loaded by this system, you know. That's why. Right. Okay. Cool. Makes sense. Um, now, if I go to the GitHub page for Zeitwerk, the description there is that Zeitwerk is uh, an efficient and thread-safe code loader for Ruby. What does it mean to say an auto loader is thread-safe? All right. Excellent question. So. Um, um, yeah, so the thing is, uh, let's imagine, so if, if we, if we think linearly, we say you hit the user constant, for instance, the user class, it was not loaded, then there's some code that is going to go and load it and resume execution where it was left. Okay. That, that's easy. Okay. Now let's introduce a variable. Let's introduce two threads. Okay. So there's one loader because only one loader is managing your project you have one loader responsible for loading and then you have two threads and the two threads uh because threads do this kind of things go and hit the user constant at the same time what is going to happen you have one loader and two threads in parallel trying to load the same thing what is going to happen? Uh, is one going to fail because there's a conflict, you know? Uh, 
could one take the lead, start loading, and then in the middle of the file, in the middle, let's imagine the user class has 300 lines, okay? Could it be the case that uh, the first thread starts loading user, and when line number 100 uh, is processed, then there's a context switching in the, you know, between threads, and execution jumps to the other thread. If that could be, if, if that could be possible, it could be dangerous because the the, the other thread could have the user class define it, but only partially. What if the other thread is using a method that is in line two hundred fifty? The first the first thread di didn't get a change to 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 reach that line. It was, there was a context switch, okay? So being threat safe means you can forget about all these complications. Being threat safe means if two threads hit the user constant at the same time, one of them is going to load, the other one is going to block and wait until the other one has processed the file Anteriorly, all the file until everything has been loaded. There's not going. There's no context switching happening. That is what thread safe uh, means. Right. And what are you doing, um, especially in site thread, that makes sure this thing doesn't happen? So, that is uh, one of the main points of Zyber. Zyber basically does nothing. Let me explain. Well, technically it does a few things, but the main problem is solved by Ruby. Why? Because one of the goals of Zyberg is to uh, offload, to delegate as much of the core logic as possible to Ruby. And that's possible thanks to the logic around the module autoload method and and also require okay let's go first with require if two threads have you ever wondered what happens if if two threads require the same file let's imagine this is a rhetoric question okay let's imagine two threads hit require foo at the same time what is going to happen is is, is foo going to be evaluated twice is foo going to be evaluated partially, and then you are going to have a context switch with only half of full being evaluated until there's another context switch that allows the first thread to continue. What is the deal? Well, Ruby is responsible for making require, uh, we could say thread safe, uh, but let's say require uh, is, is guarantees that is only going to succeed in one of the threads. That's one, that's one fundamental property of requiring Ruby. So the so one thread is going to be able to start loading, and the other one is going to wait. Why? Because the require call is going to say internally, hey, there's this is being loaded, wait. You know? And there's internal code that says you are not going to return until that that required that is doing the job finishes. Now, 
when it finishes, executing is, is execution is going to resume and require is going to return false because true was for the one that was able to actually load. And the other one is a require uh, that is going to return false because it waited for the other one to finish. So that's one fundamental property of require that Zyber relies on, you know. Then autoload also has some uh, um, properties that Zyber relies on. So basically, to summarize, the, the, the root, so the, the hard part of this problem is solved by Ruby. And the Zyber needed, needed to tweak a few super edge cases. It doesn't matter for, for, for our conversation now. But, but you know, that, that's, that's like the, the last 1%. The 99% is done by Ruby, which is fantastic because that's the point of Zyber. The point of Zyber is to leverage Ruby as much as possible and to stick to its semantics. Now, let's assume you have an application and inside of your application, you have the app folder and then you have, let's say, controllers. And then inside of the controllers, you have a users folder and then you have an admins folder. Um, if I'm using Zeitwerk, I, Zeitwerk I, I can imagine that it manages auto-loading, reloading, eager loading. But now I'm wondering, how does Zeitwerk uh, implement eager loading without using recursion if if we have for instance like folders within folders and each folder has a certain number of folders and and, and so on uh all right good one um you have to look at the source code man <laughs> <laughs> it's like th- 1500 awesome. lines uh, yeah yeah i'll find time to study it it'll take me a lot of time but we'll we'll get there no, no. I mean, the que- the question shows that you look at it. Okay. In, 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 yeah. Anyway, let, let me reply. So, um, so there, there's two things here: uh, eager loading, and unless you know, um, the the first thing that you uh, could see uh, could imagine that eager loader eager loading does is to to be uh, recursive require. All right. That's what. You normally would write uh, uh, an loading, okay? That's the way you would do it. Okay. Now, there's two things here. One is that uh, it, it is technically not recursion, but that's not like super, super important, but it's a technical detail that is interesting. So recursion uh, means that, that a method uh, calls itself, okay? Um, that... That is a that is a very simple way to uh, implement traversals because we have to traverse the tree, right? But there's there's two things. One is one is the tree traversal you have to traverse. The other thing is is the technique that you use to traverse. So instead of recursion, recursion uh, has a limit. All right, you cannot you cannot nest arbitrary arbitrary number of calls. So on on one hand. I don't, I don't want to uh, put an arbitrary restriction on, on, on the depth of projects. It's probably a depth that is, not, is, is never going to be hidden, hit. Sorry. But in any case, uh, but I prefer not to have just any 
arbitrary restriction, you know? So the way the traversal is implemented is by doing the equivalent of recursion with a while loop. And the way you do that is um, you start at some point. Let's imagine you want to either load. We start with, with one directory, okay? We say, okay, this directory represents this namespace, for instance, the top-level namespace. So you, you, you start with a queue that has one element. And then you have a while loop that, that shifts the first element of the queue, shifts the, the first element of the queue. When you start, there's one element, you shift, the queue becomes empty because shifting means remove the first element and, 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 you know, and, and give me, give me the first element and, and remove it. Like pop in the end, shift is the same at the beginning, okay? You shift. So if there's nothing in the queue, it's done. But if there's something, which is the case in the first, in the first, uh, uh, you know, the first time you enter, because you got one directory to traverse, then you list the directory. Let's imagine that the directory has entries. Okay, let's imagine the, the normal case. So we are going to list, and we want to visit the next, the next, uh, you know, the, the files and also the, the directories, but in, the partic in particular, the directories have, have to be traversed. What do you do? You push the directories to that queue. So when we entered the while loop, the queue became empty. But then if we have three subdirectories, the queue is going to have three, no, it's going to have three subdirectories. It's one of them with the corresponding namespace that they represent. Okay? So you say, while there's something in the queue, give me one. All right. No, we are going with that one, we are going to list the entries. Okay? So that, that's a, a loop inside the while, a loop that lists the entries only. For its direct subdirectory, we are going to push the subdirectory and its namespace into the queue. When this loop over the entries, of the directory finishes, we go back to the while loop. Now, what happens? That now we have three more elements. Okay, shift and give me one and repeat. So you have unrolled, you have, re you have unrolled what would be recursion if you did this with, with, call, with calls to yourself in a while loop and a queue that is dynamic. The queue is, is, is getting shifted and pushed, shifted and pushed until uh, the traversal by itself empties the queue and then you are done. An another point is that we do not use require. And that is something that I like very much about Zyberg. Because when you, when you uh, load the files, so when, when you list in a given directory the entries, we, we said that we are going to push the, 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 the subdirectories into the queue. That's how the traversal is done. But the files have to be loaded. Okay. How do we do that? We do not issue, we do not issue require calls. We, what we do is, okay, this file should be uh, providing this constant. We auto load the constant. So Zyberg is using itself in a sense. You know, it's not a recursive require, it's a, re it's a recursive conjugate. Recurses, recursing in double quotes, meaning, you know, the, the while loop that we explained. <laughs> yeah. 
What's the loaded features collection and how does Zeitwerk use it? Yeah, awesome. So um, uh, we know that require is, is idempotent. We, we, we touched a little bit about, about that, uh, talking about threads before, right? Idempotent means that if you do require foo and in the next line require foo, the second one is going to do nothing, okay? Because the first one loaded and from that point on, it, it requires going to say, well, that was loaded. I do not do, and I don't have to do anything. Okay. So when, if the first time you do require foo, a require is going to return true. From that point on, you can call require foo 10 times and all those 10 times is going to do nothing. And the call is going to return false. So the, the return value is going to tell you if the file was actually loaded or it was or the or the call was discarded because it was the thing was already loaded okay the point the point of this logic is that let's imagine you have a, a project with 200 files okay you may you may need full in 15 of them okay so every every file should have requires for the things that the file needs okay if you are using full, we are, we are, let's we are we are in the situation we are in a in a generic Ruby project that is not using Zyberk or anything, right? So we are we are talking about the logic of require and pure Ruby without any 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 extra help. Okay, if you have a, a Ruby, let's imagine a Ruby gem, you know, normal Ruby gem without Zyberk or anything. Well, you you uh, normally there's other ways to do it, but normally you know to understand what require does what it does is that you put requires of the things that you need in every file that needs it, okay? Now, uh, it couldn't be very confusing if every require loads the file. So you, you could have the file loaded 15 times, doesn't, doesn't make any sense. What you want is, uh, well, the files could be could, could have side effects, the files would, could, uh, you know, redefine things that are already in memory, it, it wouldn't make sense. But you should be able to repeat the, the required file for the same file in different places, because depending on how the code path reaches at a given point, maybe you passed through one or maybe you don't. Okay. So the situation is that you can repeat the same require as much as you need in your project, and you can be sure that it's going to be executed only once. Right, that's the logic of require. Now, the question is, how does require know if the file was loaded or not? Well, the answer is, when require is able, when require success succeeds loading a file, it stores the path to that file in this collection, in loaded features. That's maintained internally by the interpreter. Now, when require is invoked, the first thing that, that it says is, do I have this argument in, in loaded features? Was this file already loaded? And it checks loaded features for that. If it, if it is already in loaded features, it says I have nothing to do, return false. Otherwise, uh, do your, your concurrency, you know, um, whatever you have to do and load the file and return true, okay? So that's loaded features. Now, 
how does Zyber use loaded features? It only uses loaded features if, if it needs to reload. So if reloading is disabled or you do not uh, reload at all, uh, loaded features does not play any, any role, you know, in, in a project managed by Zyber. However, if you want to reload, then we need to do a little hack. I try to have as, as less hacks as possible in, 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 in Zyber, but a few very innocent, I would say, but a few uh, were needed. This hack is the following. We said that loaded features is a, is a global variable. It's not a constant, okay? All right. Um, so that, uh, well, uh, constants allow uh, mutable objects. But in any case, uh, a variable is telling you that that kind of thing changes. You know, it's, it's like, it's, it's telling you that, you know, otherwise you could have it in a constant. Well, it doesn't matter. That, that's semantics. Let's forget the semantics. Uh, the thing is that the, this collection is mutable. It's mutable. You can, you can change the collection, okay? It's not, it's not owned exclusively by an interpreter. It is not something that normally you are supposed to change anyway, because that's a, that's a collection maintained internally by Ruby, right? So it's, it is a collection and it's mutable, but it's, you are not supposed to mutate that collection. Could it, could it be the reason why they are all in capital letters that we are not supposed to change those? Uh, no, no, no. That that's that's just uh, the way the way you normally uh, write that kind that kind of global variables. Okay. Yeah. So uh, the way Zyber autoloads uses module autoload, and module autoload, which is Ruby API, okay. Module autoload uh, in the end ends up uh, issuing a required call for the file that defines the class or method that you want to autoload. Right. The problem with reloading and 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 this mechanism is that if you if if we reload and tell and tell autoload to please load user when you need it because you you reload it so user is is again not in memory require is going to say i already loaded user so we know that the code was removed from memory but require is going to not do anything because it was loaded before. Let's imagine we are, we are in, a, in an example in which that, that thing was actually loaded, you know, in, in, in before the reload, all right? So uh, we need to require to load the file again. How do we do it? Well, so reload, we, we keep track of the, of the files that uh, have been, have been uh, loaded through the loader, the, the, the ones that have been auto-loaded, and 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 remove well so when in, in the reload call we remove those files from the loaded features array and when the reload call ends you say loaded dot reload 
Okay, that's going to do a number of things, okay? One of the things that the method does is remove all the files that were auto-loaded from loaded features so that when the call returns and you are ready to load again, the requires are going to succeed and are going to load the files again. Sidefag looks like uh, it does a very good and complicated job for us inside of um, our Ruby on Rails applications. But it looks like there, there's a lot going on that meets the eye. Are there any performance benefits, first of all, to using Zeitwerk? Hmm. Yeah, there are, there are a few. There are a few. Uh, let, me, let me see. Uh, for instance, uh, as I said, Zeitwerk uh, um, defines auto loads for the files that are managed in the project. Okay. And when when an auto load is triggered, that is going to to uh, that's going to trigger an actual require call. All right. Now normally if you are not using Zybert, your requires are going to have relative names. Normally. Okay. You can so you can have uh, require relative, if you want that that is going to that is going to be fast. But if you use which is more common, require with a string that is a, a suffix that corresponds to some of the multiple directories in the load path of your of your Ruby process. That that is going to need a lookup. Okay, so. That's that's uh, that's something that we can improve. Okay, it's going to have a lookup because if you if you do require full, just just require full, and th- that is super common, right? Let's imagine we have twenty five directories in our load path. Okay, well you have to basically check conceptually. Okay, maybe then there's there's uh, there, there may be. Uh, ways to improve that or to you know to cache things or whatever you know but conceptually you have to at some point say okay let's let's see whether in one of those directories i have a foo.rb or that you can have other extensions but to simplify let's imagine we are looking for foo.rb right so it's it's foo.rb in the first fa- in the first directory maybe not okay then we need to check the second one is it here? Maybe not. Maybe you hit, you know, in the tenth directory, right? Basically, there's a lookup somewhere. Well, require does not perform a lookup if you pass an absolute path to the file. If require sees this is an absolute path, it says there's no lookup to do. I I got the full path. Go straight there. Okay. Well. Because of that, Zyberg only uses absolute paths. So all your requires, all your requires managed by Zyberg are going to use full paths. Therefore, there's not, there's not going to be any lookup. That, that's one of the things. So requires are faster. Okay? So when, when an auto note is triggered, Ruby is going to do a require on an argument that is an absolute path. Therefore, there's no there's no lookup involved. 
we we removed the lookups from from these projects. There's no lookup, you know, to the point that a project managed by Zyberg does not need to be in the load path even. And indeed, in in, in the in, in recent versions of Rails, APP models, APP controllers, and others are no longer in load path. They were before, not needed. Okay, and then you even you so you have less lookups and you have less directories in load path for for gems that do not use cyber. So there's going to be less things to look, you know, for. Okay, that's one thing. That's one thing. Requires faster. The other thing is that uh, for every piece of code, there's going to be only one require is issued. Okay? There's going to be one. So in the example that we that we talked about before uh, related to the idempotence of require, in a normal project that does not use Zybert, uh, let's imagine a gem, you may have repeated requires for the same thing because you need it in different places. So require foo could be in three files. Require bar could be in 10 files because there are 10 files using the bar class. There's three files using the, the foo bar, uh, foo, the foo class, okay? So you normally, in a gem, for instance, you put, you know, as many requires as you need so that the, the files in the individual files have all the dependencies loaded, all right? Well, the way Zyberk is, is written, and this is, so all these things that we are explaining, they are deliberate. I mean, it, it, it goes with the project, you know, but this, this we, we can do it with this benefit. Let's do it, you know? So, uh, since things are only loaded when heated, there's going to be a require only once when you hit it, require, done. There's no other require happening anywhere, you know? So all these idempotent calls that have to look for loaded features and, and they're going to return false, does not, they do not exist under Zyberg because there's only one call. And if you eager load, since eager load is a, is a, is a recursive, quote unquote, conjugate that auto loads, again, it is not going to issue requires for all the files that, that it finds. Because if the conjugate or was, uh, you know, uh, for a file that was already loaded, no, there's no require involved, okay? So that's also uh, another, you're surgical doing requires. You are only going to do the exact require that you need. That's it. No item potence needed, you know, only one. Okay, so there's, there's a third uh, performance benefit. So let's imagine you have a range application. It's going to even load in production. But let's imagine that that range application depends on a number of gems that are in the gem file that load with Zyberg as well. At, uh, as of today, there's around, if I remember correctly, around five, 500 uh, gems that load with Zyberg. Okay. Uh, let me let me give me a, mar a margin of, of error because I am I am talking from memory, but it's that that order of magnitude, more or less. All right, doesn't matter. The point is, you may have five gems in your gem file that are loading with Zyberg, and you do not even notice because transparency is a goal of the project. You do not even notice. 
but they are using their own independent loaders. They are separate from the loaders of rails. Okay, every 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 single project has its own independent loader. All right. So, uh, in order to target copy and write from the from the get go, I I I, I imagine a way to eager load all these things. So there's there's implementation and there's API and Rails uses uses this API to say when Rails eager loads, it it does not only eager load its code. It invokes a method in Zyber that says broadcast eager loading to all the loaders that you have in memory. Zyber keeps a global registry of all the loaders that exist. So you are able not only to load your application code, but also you are going to be able to either load the code of those imaginary five dependencies that are using in Zyberg. So all of that is good for your memory in your master process. Otherwise, they, are, they would be uh, loaded who knows when, you know, when, when things are required, I don't know, you, you, you lose control about, about whether they are loose, they are loaded, you know, which code is loaded before or after you fork, you know, you, you lose control of that. But thanks to the GPI, you can say, okay, loaders, how many loaders we have in memory? Seven loaders. All right. Loaders, please even load your projects. And that's that's a call performed by Rails when Rails boots. So that's the other performance benefit that you may get. That that thanks to thanks to projects being loaded by by Zybert, you are also able to have more memory in your master process in a predictable way. Right. So does it mean like Rails is only able to communicate with gems that use uh, Zeitwerk as a, as a loader? What happens with the other gems that don't use Zeitwerk? Uh, they are out of the table. They, there's no, I mean, uh, a generic, a generic gem does not have API. Maybe it's not even, you do not know how to either load a gem that you do not control. Okay. So if the gem is managed by Zyber, we know because there's, you know, we are, there are certain things. If the, if the gem is managed by Zyber, there are certain certain things that by design, uh, we, we know, we control. And in particular, we know that we can eager load. Um, but can we eager load, um, I don't know, the Postgres uh, driver? Mm. That you you cannot there's no API for that you know that's a generic gem maybe you need to load files in a certain order that you don't know so they are out they are out I'm not sure how other gems really work under the hood but since Zeitwerk is managing auto loading reloading and ego loading then it means that inherently every single gem on the planet can be able to just plug Zeitwerk in and then we can just it, it, they'll just work, right? Are there some gems that wouldn't be able to use Zeitwerk? So on paper, there's no limitation that says you cannot do that. that let, 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 that's that's the you know the heading. That's the heading. Now, if you have a gem that is you know already published and has a certain structure, and the structure does not conform to the conventions, you know, or 
or the naming does not conform to the conventions and you have client code that already has requires for the files that you have, well, you technically could refactor your gem to, to conform to the conventions, but then you're going to break client code. So in that sense, it depends. It's, so if on paper, for instance, if you create a new gem, Yes, if, if you, you can go, you know, with, with, in, in this direction and use driver from day one, and that's it, you know. Client code does not even need to know that you are using driver. That, that, does, that does not belong to the public interface. That, that's how you internally load your code, you know. Uh, however, uh, uh, for instance, a gem that, that uses driver normally is going to say to, to use this gem, you put this thing in your gem file, require the entry point. That's what most of the gems do, right? You put your, I don't know, gem foo. Your gem file is going to say foo, and it's going to require foo. Okay? So that foo, in turn, what does it do? Does it, does it do require relatives? Does it, what, what does it do? So normally, there's nothing to say. You, you just require foo, and you can use the gem. That's all your contract, you know? So client code does not need to know that that Zyberg, uh, is under the hood and that's also a goal of the project i i i like that Zyberg is uh, as discreet as possible not getting into the way so so that you use things as ruby projects ruby projects Zyberg is nowhere to be seen that that's the goal of the project you know um so yeah so if you create a new gem and you say okay i would like uh to use Zyber for this, well, you follow the conventions. Any any gem can do that. If the gem is already an existing gem, you know, and does not does not you know conform to the conventions, and there's client code that depends on that, it's going to be a migration path that is more difficult. Okay, if the internal structure is not public in your face and you can refactor, and not 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 affecting client code. You could. What are some known limitations of SiteFed? I I've tried to remove as as much limitations as I could, and the ones that remain, uh, in general, unless I find you know uh, use cases for things that I didn't happen to find you know until now, and then you know, and there's something that can be added or you know. The ones that exist, exist by design, let's say, you know, uh, for instance, something that I believe is important in the way Zyberg works and the interface that it provides is that your project structure is orderly, you know, there's, there's, a, there's an ordered descent on your project tree. Things are ordered by descent on your project tree. That order uh, is good for the semantics of Zyberg, it's good for the implementation, it's good for uh, the structure of the project because, you know, uh, people working on the, on the project tree uh, have, can, can have expectations about where, where to find things. If I know the name of, of a thing, I know where to find it. If I see the name of a file, I, I know what is going to be fine, you know? Um, uh, for instance, um, limitation, you cannot say, I don't want this file to not be reloaded. For instance, let's imagine, you know, you could, ha you could have API to have exceptions on reloading. 
technically, that is possible. I have not written it, but I believe it is. But the way I have not written it is because that has implications. For instance, let's see if you if you have API for that, you should be able to ignore a file seven levels deep into your project tree, an arbitrary file. Well, uh, if I cannot reload that file, I cannot reload. So if I cannot reload the class that that file defines, I cannot reload the parent name space of that class because if the name space reload, the class is gone. So if so, that goes back and back and back. I cannot I cannot reload. So if you want to opt out of reloading one thing deep inside the project, that scales up to the root. So that is something that is going to be tricky. That you you said I want this one file to not be reloaded, and that is going to have consequences because in order to not reload one given file. You have to not so Zybert is not going to reload a number of things above that class in the name spaces that go to that path. That is not obvious because then you are in a situation to say, okay, I only I only configured one thing, but as a consequence, I am not reloading other. 15, I am I am editing this file and it's not being reloaded, you know, in a parent in a parent namespace. What 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 the file? You know why? Well, uh, because you ask it, some of the children to not, to not be reloaded, and that has consequences. All right. Technically, it is possible. Yes, I I, I just need to be careful about about the consequences. Is it is going to be an intuitive API? I don't think so. It's going to be, you are going to have surprises. And I don't want surprises. I don't want surprises. I want things to be very uh, understandable, predictable, you know, up to a certain point. But uh, if you're going to start to find situations in which things are not working as you would expect, that I don't, I don't, that's an API I do not want to provide. Then also, you look at the source tree, and then you have a mix of things that are reloaded and things that are not. But from the source tree, you cannot tell. You know, so that that belongs to that belongs to API design. Okay, so I prefer not to give that API. Because the user experience, I believe, is not going to be good. And because your projects now are going to have this mixed state in which that predictability is lost, you know? So there were some things that I, I said, okay, this, this flexibility point uh, does not compromise this, this uh, idea and could be useful. One example was collapsing directories, being able to collapse directories. Collapsing a directory means that you have a subdirectory somewhere, and normally subdirectories uh, map to namespaces, okay? And you nest subdirectories, that's nested namespaces, okay? Uh, the, the previous autoloader, that's the way it worked. There, there was no way to collapse anything. Collapsing means 
saying, okay, look, this directory is here to organize my code. I want to group my code, but I don't want the, the subdirectory to mean a namespace. All right. Um, one, one example, for instance, can be, so there are ways to organize, uh, uh, certain, certain components in Rails applications that some people like to, to have, uh, you know, organized, grouped by subdirectories in a, in a certain folder, you know, uh, th there are, there are use cases for these. For instance, you can have STIs, STIs needs to be, need to be, uh, you cannot be lazy loaded. STIs in active record, uh, they, they need to know that the, the whole hierarchy, you know, and that, that's, that's, uh, in conflict with the concept of, with the concept of eager loading. Well, one way to eager load them is to, is to put all the models that belong to the STI in a, in a subfolder of APP models. Let's, let's imagine APP model shapes. Like, let's, let's go with geometry, with the typical, Hierarchical example, okay? You have a squares, triangles, you know, and rectangles and everything, you know. And if you if so if if you have them all 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 mixed in a, in the APP models folder, well, you maybe need to then uh, list by hand the ones that have to be uploaded when the application boots. Well, if you group them and say, look, APP model shapes. And I have here my four or five models from this geometry class that we are doing. <laughs> well, then you can say, <laughs> you can say, look, this shapes thing is not the shapes namespace. It's not a shape namespace. I am using this folder only to be able to group all these files here. So conceptually, a maintainer of the project says, oh, look, these are the models that conform the STI. That's, that's one thing that adds clarity to the, to the thing. You know, compared to having all of them, you know, spread on the APP models folder, but the, but you can then say when when the application boots, please eager load APP model shapes done. You know, well that's a use case for collapsing. You know, so collapsing was not in the first versions of Rails, and it was not a feature of the classic autoloader, and it it uh, introduces you know before. Every single subfolder, subdirectory was a namespace. Now, this is no longer the case. We could have, in theory, you know, a subdirectory that is not a namespace. So it breaks a little bit, that, that rigidity breaks a little bit. But in this case, I believe it's for a good, for a good cause. Okay. We still have the relative order preserved. So, so things go this in, so the, 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 descent that they want to preserve still applies because if you are below me you are either in the same space or is 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 a greater than greater than or equal okay so so things that that below in the source tree are below also in the namespace uh you know and and yeah it, it for me it does not you you add a little bit of flexibility to the model, but uh, in a way that the belief is is worthwhile. This one is worthwhile, and uh, it's it's useful to me. Justify the wrote it. Uh, so the limitations that are in place 
I could be, you know, I could be adding something that I, I, I cannot imagine now and, and that can be done and that makes sense with the, with the API and the semantics of the gem. But the ones that are in place are deliberate, are, are flex, flexibility points that have been discussed in the past that I, I thought that they could be technically possible, but that they are, they are not in place due to API design. You're a member of the um, Rails core team. I think you were a member way before I even started learning Ruby on Rails. Ruby on Rails has like like more or less like 12 gems, if I remember correctly. Almost every, like when I go through the comments for this week in Rails, I see that some of the core team members touch different gems at different times. Which part of Rails, or let's say which gem have you never touched before? Um, well, I don't remember if I have ever, you know, not touched anything, but there are many gems that are not in my radar Normally, well, in the last years, there has been a lot of work uh, related to autoloading in Rails due to all the migration and how to integrate Zyber, how to do a smooth, you know, uh, uh, a smooth uh, migration path from Classic to Zyber. And then now that we only have Zyber, we have even polished a few more things. So in the last years, I have done not a lot in other gems. Perhaps I don't know if I if I if I look at my history. Perhaps something here or there, you know, uh, exceptionally, but that's not my main thing. Uh, also, I only do this in my free time. So yeah. So in the end, the way I work, and that that's that has been always the case. I only I only so uh, for instance uh, something that I do not do is go to the issue tracker and pick something, for instance. You know, that's not that's not something that I do. Normally I work on on problems that I have for myself. You know, sometimes I'm tagged. See, if I am tagged normally because uh, I don't know, I, I may know something about the topic or the code, whatever, you know, okay, then I go, you know. But but uh but that's that's the way it has worked for me uh, always, you know. So for instance uh, I very, very rarely touch anything related to views, for instance. It's something that I do not, I do not touch. Just, just because there's something that I, I don't know, I am not into, into that, that gem particularly, you know, or action cable. Uh, that's, that's something that normally I do not work with unless there's, there's, uh, something that, 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 uh, I need to, for instance, if I face a back or I look at the documentation and it's and it's not either I I miss something in the documentation. I go and fix the back if I can, you know. I go and fix the documentation and push, you know. So it's on demand. It's on demand. But uh yeah, uh there are a few gems that I have I have barely touched. As a member of the Rails core team, what are some technical challenges you think are facing Ruby on Rails right now? Um one that interests me particularly is uh, the 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 story around booting an application uh, has room for improvement. Let let me explain what I mean for that. Uh, I, I I will try to to summarize the thing. 
uh, when 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 components and engines uh, plug into a Rails application, uh, the way to integrate with the framework is by writing by writing something what that we call initializers, right? So, for instance, Active Record. Let's say Active Record. Active Record is a is a Ruby gem, and Active Record does not have the notion of config environments production that there be. Okay, Active Record has Ruby API. Now, the user of Rails, in general, in order to configure Active Record, the interface is configuration endpoints from Rails. Config, Active Record, something, something. You know, that you put in config environments, config application, RB, whatever, you know? Now, the way this is designed, and this is since Rails 3, the way this is designed is, the user has a configuration interface and the component has the initializers. The initializers are supposed to pick the configuration endpoints from the application and configure the component through them, right? So the user is not supposed to be using direct Active Record API for these kind of things. It's supposed to be used, the configuration endpoints, and the, the 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 active record rail type is called technically that this part of active record that integrates with rails is responsible for uh, picking what the user configured and configure active record itself using internal APIs, whatever. Okay, the model is wonderful. The problem is that the order in which th these things happen is not clearly defined. It's not clearly defined. So we have situations in which, since when happens what is not a clear contract, there are situations in which you try to configure something and it has no effect. Why? Because the initializer that, that wants to read that value already executed. And you do not even know. You do not even know because not only the contract is not clear, but also, uh, and it's part of the same thing, ideally, you if you try to configure something too late, you should get an error to say, because what, what cannot happen is that apparently everything is normal and has no effect. You know, that's that's not the interface that you want. If you are configuring something too late, well, it should raise and say, too late, sorry, you should, you should do this before. So this whole thing, uh, that's something that, that needs, needs thought and needs, uh, needs a lot of work. I don't know, even know if it's possible because there's so much applications older, you know, and so much rail ties and so much, you know, that you have not only to think about how to solve this technically, but you also have to think about what is going to happen with this particular solution that we are proposing with the existing code. Are we going to break the universe? You know, uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, that, that complicates the solution. Another another thing, for instance, related to related to booting, is the on onload um, active support callback. The onload active support callback 
uh, uh, goes this way. You say, so the thing is, uh, it, it is, it is uh, expected from a good uh, Wales citizen that uh, you will not uh, just assume that active record is available anywhere. So you're supposed to, to, to uh, uh, do things with active record when the framework tells you, okay, active record is ready. Okay, because maybe the framework needs to do some stuff before it is ready. Maybe it needs to configure, you know, whatever, you know. You cannot, you cannot in application or be a spec that you can connect to the database, for instance. When, when can you connect to the database? Well, there's a, there's a hook, call it on, on callback, call it on load. On load, you know, you say in this case, you could say on load active record block. And then when you know that when that block is going to be invoked by active support, and that's going to happen when active record is quote unquote ready, uh, well, you can, you can assume a number of things inside the block. Well, there's a, problem, there's a problem also with that interface. The problem is that the, this callback is invoked the way things are implemented because the idea is, is wonderful. Again, the, the idea is wonderful. But the problem is that that on, that on low hook is not exactly implemented as a way to say active record, the component is ready. How it is implemented? In active record slash base.rb, if you look at that file at the bottom, there's something that says trigger the active record callbacks. So if you look at the, the, the code, objectively, what is doing? Well, it is saying active record base.rb was loaded. Well, that is not the same to say active record is ready because that's loading a file very weak. You need to, you need, you need to do more things to have active record ready. So the, the, the assumption is that Rails is the one that is going to load active record when, 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 when things are, you know, uh, okay. But the problem is that the, this contract is so weak that it doesn't make sense. Let me put an example. Let's imagine a gem that depends on active record, but does not depend on Rails because active record is an ORM for Ruby. You can use it in any, in any gem, okay? That gem does not need to have any relationship with Rails, a gem that, I don't know, improves active record, and, you know, whatever, depends on active record. Well, a gem that depends on active record and needs active record base is going to do a require for active record base and should be able to do a require for active record base because it needs active record base. So now you could have a gem in your gem file that loads active record base and it makes sense that it does so. And that is going to trigger an unload callback too early. Well, that's that's not correct. That's not correct. And the problem is that is that the the logic for calling for invoking this callback is not in the right place. Who is able to say for sure that the 
the component is ready, the active record real time. That's the one that that has the initializers and the logic and 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 the knowledge to say, hey, I I have done steps one, two, three, four, fifteen. No, I am ready. No, I can I can send this, uh, you know, event that says I am ready as a component. You know. Um, I would like you to share with us and with the audience, or the, should I call them listeners, what books have impacted your career as a Ruby programmer or as a programmer in general the most? All right. Ah, nice question. So let, let me let me first explain the thing with Matt. Before before having my first uh, programming job, I was a proofreader of math textbooks for six years. For a publisher, that means that that you get your, the drafts, you know, and the first in the first prints, and and you go through them and revise everything from typography to uh, conventions of the publisher to the correctness of the content, you know. So that that I did that before before uh, programming proofreading. Um, so books that have impacted my career. There are a few. Uh, let let me highlight uh, the 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 ones that are that have been kind of symbolic. I would say the first one is the Llama book. The Llama book. I I got the Llama book in two thousand, I believe, which was the my the the first year I got uh, a, a job as a software developer. Two thousand. The Lema book is the, the introductory book to Perl, okay? Um, up to that point, I knew a few programming languages just by pure curiosity. You know, uh, you did some C in the, in the faculty, some Prolog, C++. I studied common list by myself. Uh, Mathematica, I did math. Okay, so so we 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 were not into software, but we did some programming because for numerical analysis, you need it. You know, not Mathematica because uh, that that's a software package specialized in math, and you used some of that, but the majority of the degree is a blackboard on a chalk. Okay, so <laughs> old school style. <laughs> but but the but the thing. <laughs> The summary, well, at least by then, I don't know, you know, no, if things have changed, you know, but, you know, and that's something lovely or math, you need your brain and, uh, uh, you know, notebook, uh, chalkboard, you know. Uh, okay. Um, so the thing is that uh, uh, no scripting language had passed my brother. And my, my first job as a, as a software developer was uh, about Java. Okay, so I, I was doing web development with with Java, right? Now, uh, the the Llama book crosses my radar. It was on the table of the of the office of this company, and that changed my life. Basically, I can say that because I was exposed to what a scripting language is, and Man, that was like, why? What the fuck are we are we using all this Java? You know, 
with all respect to Java, I am extremely respectful for all all technologies and and all programming languages, everything. Okay, uh, but but my point is, uh, scripting languages fit my mind. That, that they click. So I want something that allows me to solve problems as if I had on a sledgehammer. I I like that level of abstraction. I I like the level of expressiveness. And I when I wrote when when I when I read the Yammer book, I was sold. I was like, this is this is the kind of programming that I want to do, basically. You know? Uh, this is all personal preferences. There are people that do Scala for a living, for instance. You know? It is not my thing. It is the thing of, of, of other people. We have different brains or whatever. You know, it's fine. You know? It's fine. The, the important thing is that you find your place. And my place was bad. So the Yammer book, uh, was an inflection point for me because I discovered something uh, that really, really triggered to me. The next one was the 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 of the you know the reference in Perl, the the Camel book. The Camel book was the reference, and that book, I've I've seen few books, few technical books as good as the Camel book in clarity, in rigor. Uh, in being comprehensive and in being detailed without being dry. So it was a reference, but it, it, it was not an, an RFC, let's say, you know, it, it was not like super, no, it was, you know, the, the common book was like, okay, I, I am exposed here to an excellent piece of software uh, technical writing. You know, and that that's a model for you. You know, you you have you you know have more references, and I could uh, uh, learn a lot of Perl from that book. The other one was uh, Agile Web Development with Rails, the first edition, because that is the book from which I learned Rails in two thousand and five, and changed my career as well. Because then for for several reasons, I decided to to found a company with other people to do a rail shop, and I have been doing rails since then. And uh, well, I, I could I could mention many books. Another book that was a good book for me at that time, which is a time in which you start to have you know experience, you know a few different languages, and and you know. But but you are still you know in a sponge mold. You are you are going to learn if you are exposed to other things, other paradigms, other languages. You're going to learn and learn and learn. One one was Code Complete. So we are we are switching to a different kind of book. Code Complete uh, was was a book about software development in general. You know. Naming conventions, how to structure code, how you know design considerations uh, of all kinds, and that was a book that ordered my mind because it, it it exposed you to many different aspects of software development uh, that made you think, basically, you know, made you think. Oh, oh, uh, so this is the reasoning for this thing. Oh, there exists this convention. That I don't know. There's a convention. I, I have thought, forgotten the name, but there's a convention for naming things that puts the type of the thing at the beginning of the name. 
for instance, you know? And even yeah, so that's 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 a thing. It's not it's not thinking Ruby. I don't I don't think uh, I've seen it uh, in any modern uh, language. But it was it was a convention that existed in the past, you know. And you know the 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 Mer the Merck's position to that makes you think. Oh, uh, so this particular community uh, like like it to have this convention. Oh, interesting. I am not going to use it, but it doesn't that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It it exposes you. It makes you think about software development. There's there's a there's an, an more recent editions. I have not read them, you know, uh, and I have I don't know how I would read read them uh, today. Uh, probably I would enjoy them as much uh, as I did in the past, you know. But the point is that at that time, at that time in my career, it gave me a comprehensive, you know. Uh, uh, com a comprehensive uh, exposition of different things in software development that perhaps they were like like in my head in some way or another, but that 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 gave it cohesion, you know, and exposing me to things that, uh, yeah, that that they they benefit they benefit the develop the developer I was after reading that kind of book. Thank you very much, Xavier. Thank you for your time. It was fun having you on The Real Change Log. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me.